here's a fun little fact that I guess mm. I'm really sharing with Kelly Sue and maybe Phil. So do you remember in this episode when um, when he's talking to Chilton in the kitchen, when Hannibal's talking to Chilton in the kitchen and, he, and he's talking about Norton grapes? Yes. Norton grapes are a grape varietal mm. that were created in Richmond, Virginia, the Chesapeake Bay area. Wow. It's like he wants to be caught. It's it's like he's it's like he's confessing all the time. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> and he's just like if everybody wasn't such a fucking idiot. <laughs> Welcome to Murder Husbands, an episode-by-episode deep-dive appreciation of the Brian Fuller-created series Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I'm Lisa K. Weber, and I've got a head for business and a bod for sin. (laughs) With me, as always, are my effusive Popsicle co-hosts. First up, I'll have what she's having. It's Kelly Sue Milano. Hi, Kelly Sue. Oh. Next. I assume what she's having is like major pain medication. <laughs> <laughs> I will have what she's having in that case. Um, <laughs> next, the stuff that dreams are made of. It's Justin Peniston. Hi, Justin. Hi, uh, you know, when I dream, I dream about your head for business. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Next up, she'll take hers shaken, not stirred. It's Thorn, Claire Thorn. Hi, Claire. I, I feel that. Hello. <laughs> and finally, our producer, our magic man. He had us at hello. It's Philip Kelly. Hi, Philip. How are you doing today? Give me the money. Is that what it is? Bring me. Give me the money. So, <laughs> wow. Wow. I, yeah, you can take I that one too. The I, easiest. I, I, I show me the money. Show me the money. <laughs> show I, me the money. Managed, <laughs> you just managed to white man up that line so effectively. I haven't seen that movie in. Bring is it me give the me the money? money? You don't have to see it again I, to I know that. No, you don't. I, I was trying to think of the. Um, I was trying to think of the line that the kid became famous for, and I couldn't. So the I, I human head it. has eight yes. pounds. Yes, has eight it. pounds. I, I knew it was something. Eight pounds. <laughs> we're, we're, Kelly Sue, we're off to a great start, you All and right. I. We are doing so well right now. No more, no more back, everybody. For the entire episode, we're, we've done them. We've tried them. We're, we're, we've failed. Script. Stick to it. Okay. <laughs> So before we dig into discussion, by French Stewart, <laughs> the famous French Stewart line, "Give me the money." Um, so before we dig into discussion, Justin and Kelly Sue will take us through a quick recap of this week's episode, Entree. This episode opens with Eddie Izzard lying unconscious in a jail cell! Exclamation point. Actually, it's Doctor Abel Gideon a patient at the Baltimore Hospital for the Criminally Insane. After he feigns illness in order to brutally murder a staff nurse, Jack and Alana are contacted by the ever-sassy Dr. Chilton, who believes he has the the Chesapeake Ripper in custody based on Gideon's recent activities. Though his murder is strikingly similar, Will determines that it's highly unlikely Gideon Gideon is the Ripper, given that he's been behind bars for two years and they're dealing with Ripper murders in real time. This time frame leaves him out of the recent murders, but makes him the possible suspect of one, Jack's former FBI trainee and protege named Miriam Lass, who's been missing for the same amount of time. Dr. Gideon maintains that he is the Chesapeake Ripper and that he did kill Miriam Lass, but this falls flat when Jack gets a phone call from her. Turns out it was just her severed arm. The possibility that she is alive begins to taunt Jack. By opening up to Hannibal, Jack copes with the loss of his young protege on top of the prospect of losing his wife. It is during this time that we're privy to a flashback in which Miriam visits Dr. Lecter while investigating the Ripper. She finds a sketch that matches the recent victim's wounds. Oops. But before she can do anything, Hannibal tiptoes in socks behind her and we witness his first attack. Hannibal officially becomes a bad guy. Yep. If you weren't sure before, pretty fucking clear now maybe you're convinced now (laughs) just just a small moment for mads mickelson in socks just just a small moment yeah don't think i don't think about it oh yeah often 
silent but deadly. Mm. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Seeing him sneak down that ladder in his in his stocking feet, as they say, was actually one of the scariest moments in the show thus far. Oh yeah! Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah! Yeah! Absolutely. With his dancer's physique. Yes. Mm-hmm. So nimble. <laughs> um. <laughs> So All right, everybody, <laughs> let's get to it. So, you know, I generally like to start with talking about characters and we're introduced to three new ones in this episode. We've got Abel Gideon, Frederick Chilton, and Miriam Lass. Um, but I also want to take a quick moment to talk about a couple other characters because I noticed in this episode for the first time that this is the first time that Hannibal and Will do not interact at all. They don't talk to each other or about each other. Um, except in terms of Will talking about the Ripper, um, who he doesn't know is Hannibal yet. Well, anyway, <laughs> um, and I and I kind of realized I was like, oh yeah, they didn't do that because this is really Jack Crawford's episode. This is the episode where we dive in a little bit more to Jack Crawford. Um, so as we talk about these new characters, um, I wanted to kind of talk about how you felt about how how they were introduced, how we like them fitting in how they apply to Jack's story, but also because the name of the show is Murder Husbands, how they apply to Hannibal and Will. So let's go. Let's talk about these peoples. Well, number one, Eddie Izzard. I mean, mm-hmm. casting, I, I just, it, brilliant. He's just so good. He's so, mm-hmm. he's so almost there, but not there. Like, because that's the role he's playing. He's almost what he's saying he is, but is he not? And I don't know anybody better to just like be that, that unreliable. Um, every conversation he has is so just like, you know, he's just wanting to poke and dig, you know, at the, at the person and be impressive. And he does it so, so well. Mm. Oh, so true. I love him. I feel that the same can be said for Raul Esparza um, in so many ways, because the performance that he gives as Chilton from the get-go, you're just like, oh, there's a new sheriff in town. (laughs) Like, I really love, even though he's, you can tell from from the very beginning, it's like he has this, this fascinating way of being a little bit like Schmarmy the Clown-esque, while at the same time, this isn't a character that we're like laughing at, you know? Like he's still very, he's got agency and is respectable, but also has this sort of clowny aspect. And it's, I can't imagine how difficult that must be to pull off as an actor. But I love the addition of these new characters, especially as you pointed out, Lisa, that Will and Will and Hannibal are now not focused on each other now that there's Abel Gideon and Chilton and then this ghost of Miriam Lass. It's almost like, I don't know, it's hard for me to not imagine that Hannibal is like orchestrating everything. Like, oh, now I'm going to pull in these new people so that I can kind of think back and do my thing or whatever. It does feel that way. I mean, I know that it's like he doesn't control Abel Gideon, but it's Mm -hmm. like, doesn't he? (laughs) Doesn't he? At the same time. I wouldn't be surprised at all that he hasn't put some sort of seed somewhere that is now grown into some kind of fruition. I don't know what that would be, but I, I never assume that Hannibal hasn't put some sort of thought into that kind of detail. And can mm-hmm. we just admire for a moment how just universally amazing Fred, the character A of Frederick Chilton oh, incredible. is, and B, just how in all of his iterations, he is perfectly cast, perfectly done, and just one of the most despicable. There, There's a my husband and I are like collecting characters that we just flip off every time they come on st- screen. They're just, they're just uniformly despicable. So he flips off Denethor when, you know, watching mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings um, of entirely. Frederick Chilton is that for me. Like there is just, he does not even get one word out in his first moment on screen back in the movies before you look at him and go, no, this no. dude is loathsome. And like- the- 
uh, just complete and utter just loathsome. And he, it carries through into the, the TV series as well. Absolutely. One of the better characters that have ever been, you know, created out of thin air and just given there for us to flip off every time we see him flip him off. Yeah. He's definitely the worst. I mean, I, I like, I mean, yes. And to what Kelly Sue was saying, like, Caduce to the actor (laughs) because man he comes on and it's like ooh instant dislike instant distrust like it's an instant this fucking guy (laughs) (laughs) to whom do you think you are speaking sir yeah Watching Hannibal stroke his ego during the dinner scene is one of the more enjoyable scenes, I think, in I the whole it. episode. It just, he gets almost giddy. He almost giggles and can barely constrain himself from giggling at, because he's so flattered and and plumed up like a, you know, peacock because he is at Hannibal's table. It's just amazing. They really, uh, Frederick Shilton is one of those, he's, instantly personified as this grasping desperate for approval and attention kind of guy and of all the characters in the show thus far i feel like he is and partly because he's an archetype a bit of an archetype but he is like the most immediately and starkly drawn you know in the combination of the things he says and the way he's performed i think raul esparza is maybe the uh, one of the unsung heroes of the show because he just nails Frederick Chilton, you know. And in like in Silence of the Lambs, Chilton is just a touch cartoonish, but uh-huh. but all of the characters in, in Silence of the Lambs are a little cartoonish when compared to this show. You know, they're a little more over the top, a little more mustache twirly. Mm-hmm. Um, but this. He just blew me away, Raul Esparza did, in, in this. Um, it's hard for me to talk about the new characters in this episode without sort of starting to encroach on our next subject of discussion. Mm. Because, you know, Abel Gideon, you know, and let me just join the, you know, the love fest for Eddie Izzard, who's the man. Um is definitely presented as a proto version of Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. you know, and they do that visually right down to the, you know, to where we first see him, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's almost, but not quite exactly like, you know, the cell where Hannibal was kept in mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs. Um, Chilton is straight up a character out of Silence of the Lambs and Miriam Lass with her, you know, earnest eagerness is, you know, really, really throwing us, you know, a lot of this proto Clarice Starling thing, you know? So you're um, clearing my follow-up question to the one we're talking about, right? Now. <laughs> well, I think that they're, they're sort of, they're sort of, you know, bound together. Do you know what I mean? They are. Um, um, and so like, I mean, if we really want to do it for your sake, Justin, for my sake. So you can so you can feel free to mm-hmm. talk about this. We'll just combine these two questions. So here was my second question. Yes. Which is exactly what Justin was just talking about. Um, mm-hmm. that there are a ton of like visual callbacks to Silence of the Lambs, the film that we all know and love that really gave us this pop culture villain of Hannibal. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, and like, you're talking about like the, the scene of Alana walking in and interviewing Abel Gideon is almost like shot for shot from Silence of the Lambs when Clarice Starling first walks in to talk to Hannibal. Um, and yes, of course, Abel Gideon is kind of this Hannibal stand-in. Miriam Lass is clearly a Clarice Starling stand-in. Um, and so, like, how do these visual cues strike you as applied to these stand-ins? 
um, was the next question. So feel free to talk all about it now, Justin. <laughs> well, it's not even just visual cues. I mean, mm -hmm. during the, the dinner that Hannibal has with Alana and Chilton, he straight up says the last line of Silence of the Lambs. He says, it's, it's nice to have old friends for dinner. Mm -hmm. you know which is you know and at the end of silence of lambs he says i'm going to have an old friend for dinner you know mm -hmm. and as he as he zeroes in on um, frederick chilton yeah um so this is like hands down intentionally a silence of the lambs homage yeah. um and it's it's it bothers me because it's such a good homage and yet i feel like there's so many ways in which it's better than silence of the lambs um, but I think that's because this gets the context of the rest of the show. Um, and I think that inserting Will Graham into this mix adds a lot of, I, I guess it's sort of that, that wild card that gets played, you know? Um, I, it's strange because Chilton is so wonderfully done. And, you know, Eddie Izzard is Abel Gideon. But the character that intrigues me most is Miriam Lass. Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, she's given this quiet confidence. And then she just gets ganked at the end of the episode, you know. Um, and it's sort of a, holy shit, what if that had happened to Clarice Starling? You know, like, there's even echoes of the whole Buffalo Bill situation because she doesn't see him coming, you know? Um, I really loved, I really loved how those characters were used to blow this into, you know, don't forget where Hannibal comes from, you know, at least yeah. the most popular version. Well, mm -hmm. and I love the alt history part of it because this is like Lisa said, this is a show about Jack and part of the thing that we have to grapple with, with Jack is how he uses people. Um, we're, we're, we have to understand that he is consistently repetitively putting people in front of him between him and his quarry. Um, and I think it is a really interesting thing to consider that, you know, taking Clarice Starling, a trainee, um, and pointing her in harm's way. Um, and asking her to do the thing that you know you can't do because you have to protect your position. Um, I think that that's a very, it's such an interesting way to look back at the movie as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's obviously asking us to again say, okay, what Jack is doing with Will is egregiously, like he knows what he's doing. He'll, he, his excuses and his, justifications to himself are really put into a very hard light because we see exactly how he feels about losing Miriam last and yet he's doing it again in a lot of ways he's he's still asking for people to I don't know I keep saying being out in front of him I don't know that that's necessarily fair but at least be there next to him knowing that they're not in the same capability or in the same place of, of security that he might be. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting. I also interesting couldn't help, um, you know, without, I can't, there's no way to really talk about it specifically without like massive spoilers. And I know Bill is watching in real time. Oh, so many spoilers. <laughs> but it's that Silence of the Lambs visual cue is something that I think really gets, that seed is planted in this episode for sure. And then as these threads continue out throughout the story, we get so many more of these visual cues from that time, or from say that time. Technically it's the future in the story, but as audience members, it's the past. <laughs> so it's like, um, it's such an interesting thing because so it struck me as like these visual cues from Silence of the Lambs 
for me, it was my initial hit was like, oh, it's this sort of like, if you aren't aware, then history repeats itself. But then I was like, but it's not history within the context of the show. <laughs> history in my brain. But then it's also like, what's the difference, you know? Um, so it was a, that was a really interesting experience to have as an audience member. Like, I think there are so many amazing ways that they use these, that they use the subject matter and the show and the images to really have you questioning reality at every single step. And they do it in so many ways. I do think the, um, the silence of the, I, I love the silence, you know, the silence of the Ram flams, uh, references obviously are pretty noticeable right away but the i like the fact that it's basically a facade um that uh these are elements that are created uh but not used in the way we would expect them to be used mm -hmm. um, they're to set up a false sense of where we think things are going to go uh so i do like that element about it they're using it smartly as opposed to just repeating what we've already seen they're uh, uh undermining what we've already seen um, what I will say about the characters real quick is with, um, you know, with every reaction that I've had initially to uh, some of the more, um, I guess, demanding characters like uh, Lowndes, you know, every time I see these new characters, I'm like, kind of like, oh, and she was worse than the last, like, oh, no, this was, I like, uh, Chilton made me squirm from the get-go, like from his first line, I was squirming in my seat. Uh, it was... You know, I, I have nothing much to add beyond that. What I do like about his character and what his character is representing to the overall story is this idea of the psychic drive, um, that sort of subtle manipulation of somebody else that we've seen Hannibal doing to all of our main characters, uh, but it's given a name and it's given uh, uh, specificity in this uh, um episode as to how powerful that psychic drive can be to push somebody to do something that they may not otherwise want to do or have in mind to even do well uh, which is before you go on just psychic driving is a very real thing and it's yeah. not that oh, subtle i mean psychic driving is a process using repetition mm -hmm. and drugs and sure. you know hallucinatory hallucinatory uh, provoking effects to push someone in a direction like it's it's not yeah. it's what Hannibal's doing that we've seen thus far mm -hmm. is not an example of psychic driving right not not like right. on the level that Chilton is doing but just the well, no it's it's you know, not at all like it psychic driving is drugs and repetition and mm -hmm. it's 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 a it's a it's a real thing right know? I understand that yeah. I understand that I I guess what I'm getting at is you it's a more like it's what Hannibal is doing, but writ large. Yes, like exactly. Hannibal's not psychic driving. Yeah, it's an exaggerated effect. Yeah, it's an no. exaggerated sort of uh, idea of what Hannibal is doing. Exactly. Um, see, like I, we already kind of mentioned Hannibal's manipulation moment with Chilton. That was like, wow, this guy's really good at manipulating. Yeah. <laughs> Events and. Yeah thoughts he, and people i don't think um, he ever used it has to use more than one sentence to do it either when you notice when he's really it's so quick and surgical and just one one sentence yeah is all he needs to do one thing i do love about um hannibal lecter <laughs> at least this version of him is how efficient he is like i really appreciate that <laughs> very efficient Yes. Well, um, even down to his word choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Huh? that's that's like the part of his efficiency that I like best is like he knows the least amount of words to use mm -hmm. to to just get you. Yeah. <laughs> Hannibal is for sure a Virgo. Oh, yeah. yeah. Could I be, mean, I'm sure yeah. he has a real birthday that isn't <laughs> that, but. What I imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like for me, I just um with all of this, like with all the characters, I was just kind of like like kind of like studying the corollaries between them all, like how 
you know, Miriam Lass and her position is very related to Will and his position and the way Jack relates to both of them. Mm -hmm. And um, also in the way that like, obviously able get, it's like, it's like the, um, it's like the field kabuki all over again, where it's like having these characters that are like related, like Abel Gideon being related to Hannibal, um, Will being related to Miriam Lass is kind of showing us what these characters are and what they aren't the same way that kind of field kabuki thing showed Will what the Shrike is and what the Shrike isn't. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I dug all of that stuff. <laughs> Same. It would appear that Hannibal Lecter is an Aquarius. He, he really? is a Capricorn. He's a Capricorn? He? He's, his birthday is January 20th. Oh, oh yeah, that's Capricorn. Capricorn oh. son. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That does actually make sense. The, inter- the internet failed me on that. Well, I mean, it's I guess cuspy. It, it's I guess very cuspy. It, yeah. I, I happen to find... <laughs> As soon as you said he was in a, a Virgo, I was like, oh, really? And I, so I looked it up. <laughs> and yeah, his birthday is January 20, 1933. Listen, not far off. Nope. Both Earth signs. Both. Very. No offense. Virgos and I'm are just, you know, You're like, he's a Virgo. And I was like, so is my wife. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I love the Virgos. I do. <laughs> I do love this question in this episode about whether or not Abel Gideon really thinks he's the Chesapeake Ripper or not. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's partly because I've just been listening to a series of um, kind of, you know, educational things about memory and how easy it is to, to how we rewrite our memories all of the time, how easy it is to generate a memory in someone based on connecting it to something that they feel um, familiar with in the first place. So you've got this character who has killed, who, you know, who has been a murderer, who has the same kinds of like motivations, I think, in some ways. Um, and how, how I suspect that, that what Chilton and, and everything that Chilton does, I assume he's doing it just, you know, half-assed and thinking he's smart about it. And because that's kind of the hallmark of this character, right? Is that he's just not smart enough to know how dumb he is about pretty much everything he's doing. He he understand he's one of those characters that understands just enough to be really stupidly dangerous with what he's doing. Um, and I don't. I in my head, I really do think I believe that that Abel Gideon, to, in some aspect, really does think that he's done things that he hasn't done in the past. I just feel that heavily. Um, and I, it's just such a nice little reminder that that's, that is true. I mean, even down to just like, you know, being a witness to a crime, you, people are so easily led just by the wording of, of, you know, questions that are presented to them to remember things that didn't happen or think that they saw things that didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. That's good stuff. Um, yeah, I liked that central question too. Um, all right, everybody. It is time for us to go to a quick break. But stay tuned. We'll be right back to talk about more stuff and dead bodies. Yay. Yay. Okay. See you in a minute. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Um, We talked earlier about some of Hannibal's masterful manipulation in this episode, um, but I also really liked this one little scene where um, um, Will and Freddie Lowndes kind of got into a sparring match over whose job attracts more psychopaths. (laughs) It was just a little moment um, that I just kind of you know, I guess tickled me. (laughs) So I figured why not let's, why not have some fun with it on our own? 
um, and think about where we are in the story of Hannibal so far. And who do you think takes most and least psychotic? Are you going to surprise us and not pick Hannibal for most psychotic? I'm dying to know who wants to start. <laughs> I'll go. Um, for fun, for this fun question that you've brought. So fun, up. right? So fun. <laughs> um, the first person that strikes me as the most psychotic is actually Jack. Mm. And the reason that I say that is because um, I am, I just got finished reading a book called Existential Kink, which is phenomenal by Carolyn Elliott. And the sort of central position of the book is that when our shadow is repressed and unconscious, it more powerfully runs our life than even our conscious mind and is creating on is creating in our lives constantly so we're constantly fulfilled we just think that we're not because we're creating things unconsciously all the time i mean there's so much more to it than that but um that book with this question makes me think oh well jack is the most unconscious of his shadowy parts you know he's avoidant in his marriage he is actively using people for his benefit over their own safety. Um, he has a little bit of a savior complex, right? So it's like, he's unaware of all of these things. And the difference between him and Hannibal is that Hannibal is very aware of his shadow. <laughs> he's yeah. very integrated. And actually, so is Will. Will's not trying to be like, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm totally normal, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know, this is, this is true of Alana a little bit, but she strikes me as being relatively innocent, you know? Um, again, Freddie Lowndes, she's not trying to come across as somebody who's like, I have really pure intentions, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But there's Jack. And he's the one that's constantly like, no, that's not me. And so I, I he's my that. vote for most psychotic. I love that so much because I was like, as I was kind of like, it took me a long time to actually like formulate this thought into a question. Yeah. I was like, how do I like pose this as a question? I didn't like know what to do. And I was like, well, we just got mm -hmm. finished ranking a bunch of stuff. Let's rank stuff again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, <laughs> what else are you going to rank in this show? That's all we've got. <laughs> but I was like, as I kind of like wrote down the question, I was like, it's funny because I was kind of thinking along the same lines that it's like, there's a certain, like when there's a certain amount of honesty with yourself about mm -hmm. like who you are and what you're doing, it somehow feels more like well-adjusted, totally. even if you're sure of what yourself is doing is murdering and eating people. <laughs> Completely. Well, and also it's like Jack has gotten people killed. Will has Absolutely. killed people you know mm -hmm. yeah does, so, you like, know does, go ahead philip oh i was just gonna say does hannibal think that what he's doing is wrong though at any point no, no. see i think that's i think that's the big discrepancy in that argument is, sure yeah. yeah he he knows that maybe he's different mm -hmm. and that he stands outside of everybody else but he doesn't think what he's doing is wrong. We're, um, we're not applying questions of right and wrong to this question, Philip. <laughs> well, I, I, well, I, I, well, I think just if we're going to go with well, the argument we bring that... In, I mean, we bring in the concept of morality. Yeah. And yeah. how does the concept of morality really apply to the world of Hannibal in this show anyway? <laughs> you know, yeah. That's another question. I mean, you yeah. have a really valid point, Phil, that, yeah. you know, like Hannibal like... has... Well, I actually I think he has an awareness that it's wrong because if he didn't, he wouldn't based, based on what other people so much think, time I think, hiding. I think based yeah. on what other people think or what you know society thinks, sure. Yeah. I but I mean totally. if we are gonna bring up, you know, the point that if you don't know your psycho what, what your psychopathy is, mm -hmm. then not knowing if your psychopathy is wrong or not is also a very valid sort of way to look at this. Sure, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about Again, what you're what you're what you're saying, Kelly, is I think uh, Chilton is also on that level. I don't think he understands totally. how terrible he Agreed. is. Like Once I think again, he is like clueless like is he, his he literally defining. yeah he literally mm -hmm. pushes somebody to murder his nurse. Mm 
yeah. just so he can prove he's right. Like that mm -hmm. is, that's beyond like I, yeah, that's beyond yeah. the beyond so far. And I think subconsciously wanted it to happen because oh, yeah, for sure. who totally. in their right mind runs a freaking psychiatric crim, you know, institution for crim the criminally insane and doesn't mm -hmm. put at least one security guard in the flipping medical uh, lab with your, mm -hmm. your, in the really sad little excuse. I mean, I almost, the first time I saw that episode went, oh, okay, this I'm now can't you know, abide mm -hmm. this show because if they're going to tell me they left those two people alone in a room together mm -hmm. and not going oh. to address it. And then thankfully will that's the first question <laughs> will mm -hmm. ask Chilton. And he gives this very Chilton-y answer of like, mm -hmm. well, he was doing better. <laughs> and so, <laughs> totally. and it's, but it does, I, and it works for me now because you think, okay, well, yeah, he even wanted to, he wanted to see, he wanted that to happen somewhere deep mm -hmm. down without understanding it so that he, he could be proven correct. Totally. It's so twisted. Can, yeah. And before I stop talking, can I just, <laughs> the, the appreciation, I love that you have this question, um, mm -hmm. Lisa, because I one of my favorite moments in this episode, and I it's one of my favorite lines in the entire series is how Freddie Lowndes wraps up that discussion with the line, well, we're just a bunch of psychopaths helping each other out, aren't we? And, yep. and it's so, it's so, it's so prescient. It's so, she's so, you know, we might really, really despise Freddie Lowndes because she operates entirely in her own, to her own benefit all of the time, pretty much. But she understands what's going on mm -hmm. better than a lot of people in the show. Um, most people like nobody understands what's going on better than Hannibal, but Freddie Lowndes is kind of right up there with understanding and uh, being pretty savvy about people's duplicity and all of the other stuff that's going on. And she kind of nails the entire series there. She, she, she gives us the best description of the series so far. It's yeah. just a bunch of psychopaths helping my each other out. My, my respect for her went up this episode quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was really great. Mm -hmm. I, um, it's so funny because when I think about who most to least psychopathic, Jack, of all these characters who have either killed somebody or gotten somebody killed, Jack has by far the most remorse. Mm -hmm. By far the most remorse, which yeah. would suggest that he is the least psychopathic of the group. Do you know what I'm saying? And Jack at least has, he has the justification of saying, I am putting people in harm's way, but I'm doing it to save lives. And mm -hmm. no one else has anything even remotely approaching that justification. <laughs> you know? Completely um, fair. Well, so arguably, to, to, arguably, to, it is his job. It, it, I mean, yes, it definitely is his job, you know. And I do agree that he's probably the least aware of the truth about himself. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to suggest that he's not a bit of a psychopath, you know. <laughs> but, but he is to me, he is by far the least psychopathic, followed probably by Will. Will is probably next, at least in terms of people who have advertently or inadvertently gotten someone killed mm -hmm. you know will has killed somebody but will also suffers for it but his suffering is a little bit more self-angsty you know what i mean oh, yeah. than, sure. than yeah. jacks yeah it's um, not a remorse for the killing it's the remorse for the fact that the killing made him feel good yes yeah. yes yeah yeah mm -hmm. um and uh yeah i do think chilton is the most psychopathic actually mm -hmm. i mean hannibal's a freaking psychopath but hannibal like is so he has one thing that really just i was thinking about this, in this episode when he's talking to jack about bella it feels so genuine yeah you know what i mean yeah. like he's like look jack i want to hurt you but not this way right do you know what i'm saying and you know, and he's giving him real tools to try to deal with his grief, you know, yeah. and that's like, 
I don't think Frederick Children would do anything like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it wouldn't be worth his time. It wouldn't advance his career. It wouldn't enhance his reputation. Um, and you know, Freddie Lowndes is gleefully who she is. And you know, <laughs> I have mad respect for her. So she's smack dab right in the middle of psychopathy, you know. Um I was also so intrigued by this scene that I went and looked it up and I was like, what are, you know, what careers are uh, attract psychopaths, you know? And apparently it's been Googled a lot because it popped up pretty quickly. On my, my <laughs> um, of course it has. And is my career psychopathic? <laughs> that, that, um, that list is genuine. Like that number five is journalist. Number six is law, uh, number five is journalist. What I found fascinating was that okay? Five, six, and seven are, are a journalist, law enforcement, and I forget what the third one thing was. But number nine was chef. Oh no! <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Wow! And I thought that was pretty awesome. That's, <laughs> That's amazing. Good. That's amazing. That's not good at all. that is amazing um yeah yeah for my part i'll 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 end with my vote i i honestly did kind of think um hannibal um and mostly as like most psychopathic and to go off of what you were saying justin it's because he's so he knows exactly what he's doing with jack like Mm -hmm. doing this thing where it's like oh i'm your friend i'm your support um while also destroying you is that's some next level psycho shit the little like the kind of final scene where he's like having the fireside chat with jack and um having that kind of final like memory um the final flashback that shows what happened between hannibal and miriam last um and Jack's like, oh, she was an incredibly brave young woman. And then Hannibal gives this little smirk. And it's like, because he knows what he did. And he knows that he's like, he's got this thing over Jack. And it's like, he's just so like, what a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) What a fucking psycho jerk he is in that second, you know? Um, So anyway, that was (laughs) how I... (laughs) it's a valuable that yeah it's a valuable thing to go on youtube and look up you know youtube videos that are clips of hannibal's or mad mickelson's best moments in the show because you get a string of scenes where if you blink you miss the one little fleeting Mm. uh facial expression that mads mickelson delivers to to tell to show you who he is behind the person suit Mm-hmm. And there's so many of them. There's so many of them. And they're so, yeah, they're so great and well done. I really, I really, I don't yeah, have We words. love Matt Nicholson. Nope. He just acts because with his face. Hannibal is, yeah, yeah, go on. I was, he acts with his face so effectively, so often. The scene where Hannibal gets butthurt at Freddie Lowndes' article, there's no dialogue when he's reading that, you know but it is written all over his face. And, you know, mm-hmm. you almost think Hannibal's trying, you can almost see he's trying to resist being baited. And he's kind of like, fuck yeah, no. this shit. You know, <laughs> like, I loved it so much. Yeah, Mads is on point. So he's on point. the best. We love him, despite his psychopathy. My well, wife I guess Mads isn't a psychopath. No, Mads isn't a psychopath. How do you, how do you do that? All right. All right. Because she's scared. Listen, we can talk about Mads and his face and his body all day long, but it is time for us to talk about another body, which is the exquisite corpse for this week. Claire. Yes. Take it away. There is an art to murder, especially in the world of Hannibal. In the Exquisite Corpse segment, we attempt a little amateur sleuthing because we're pros, you know, or no, we're not. That would be amateur. We're amateurs. Absolutely. To break down the murder scenes that we were given in these episodes and muse on what we think are deeper insights based on the production elements presented. 
And in this episode, we of course have the flashback scene with Miriam and Jack um, and are witness to their examination of the, the early Chesapeake Ripper target that is the inspiration obviously for the initial murder and crime um, in this episode with Abel Gideon and the the nurse left to herself. I'm not going to let that point go. Bless her heart. She shouldn't have been in that room without asking for a guard. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm moving on. Um, so in this scene, we see this this man who is laid out prone uh, with a bouquet, if you will, of impaled objects sticking out of his body. Um, the victim is Jeremy Olmsted, who has been killed in his own workshop, and every tool um, on his pegboard in the shop is used against him. And of course, select organs have been removed. And so this is kind of one of the first times we see, you know, this, this past purely, you know, Hannibal, you know, uh, work. This is, this is a murder that Hannibal has committed prior to the events of, of this series and prior to any motivations that are going on perhaps with him. Um, in relation to our other characters. So I'm curious to hear what everybody thinks about this scene, what it tells you about Hannibal and who the Chesapeake Ripper has been in, you know, up until this point. Philip. I mean, well, I feel yeah. sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> There's one Please. Philip, I'm going to start with you. <laughs> All right. Start with Philip. All right. Mm. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think it's interesting that uh, this is presumably a mechanic because you can see a mechanic being very rude because uh, mechanics can be very jerky sometimes. Um, so in that, in that regard, it kind of makes sense, uh, at least on a superficial level, right? Like we can immediately understand why Hannibal would probably do this to him. Um, I do like, what I find interesting is with, first of all, I mean, we, we're given this scene so that we can see um, uh, Lass's sort of intelligence at work, which is great. Wow, she's obviously very smart um, and somebody that we're rooting for, but, um, in the reflection of this scene between this one and the one that uh, uh, Graham witnesses later and that has to, she has to walk through, I think it's the most violent position we've seen him put himself in in the mind of another killer. Like he pops somebody's eyes out with his thumbs. He, he's there physically doing terrible things to someone else. And you see that when he comes out of his sort of mental state, he's like rattled. I mean, I think he's more rattled. This is the first, I, I, I don't think he's been this rattled coming out of a mental state before. Um, so I think that's also a very interesting kind of aspect of this is just to continue to see him breaking down, um, mm-hmm. kind of re, reliving these moments again. Um, yeah. Uh, if there, there is a certain level of, you know, and he talk, they, they talk about some of the other murders, but I do love the irony uh, of being killed with all of your own tool sets and, and all the things on the wall. It's very intelligent. It's very artistic. You're making a point. I, I love the thought that's been put into all of that. Um, and I, I love the continued references to other things because that the poking of the, the popping of the eyeballs is very much Blade Runner. And the look on Will's face mm-hmm. is very much similar to that of Roy Batty's when he's you know, busting his creator's eyes. Uh, so you, you see these little minor visual influences that you can see, you know, throughout the rest of the show, maybe and how they intone and everything, but these specific moments are pretty great. Man, nothing like a good eye gouging. Yeah. To uh. really make you feel what's going on on screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as far as this week's exquisite corpse it's um like the drawing that Miriam last finds that Hannibal has done um that leads her to the realization that he is Chesapeake Ripper um is it's based on this artwork called the wound man um which I think like the first drawings of it are like several hundred years old Um, but basically these things, these drawings were made, like, I mean, they're kind of medical illustrations. Um, and the first versions of them were made as like, kind of like a, almost kind of like a guide to field dressing for doctors who were, um, like in battle scenes. And so it's like, here are all the different, like 
wounds and injuries you can expect to find coming into your tent in the heat of battle. Um, Just not all at once. You, not mean, all at once. Usually, yeah. I mean, usually it could happen, once, but probably not. Um, and so, I mean, like in in regards to um, Jeremy Olmsted, I mean, it's like I don't know. I mean, it can be this kind of like interpretation of like Hannibal is is doing battle, like he is at war with the rude, and like. So he's not going to injure you just this one way. He's going to injure you every single way he can, because how dare you? <laughs> and um, it's interesting what you said, Philip, about how shaken um, Will was to kind of like go in um, with the nurse, because that wasn't a Hannibal kill. It didn't have that sense of purpose to it. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that is makes it even more horrifying. Good point. Good point. Um, yeah, it it's we you've after you see that scene with Miriam and um and Jack, and as they walk through and they're talking about all of the elements of it, it going back and, and watching Will reenact what Abel Gideon does, it's almost point by point showing us, nope, this is not the same. This is not the same. When, you know, Will kind of looks around to see what's at hand to start impaling his victim with, or, you know, what he's going to do next. We understand it is a, it is a decision in the moment and nothing Hannibal does is a decision in the moment. It is, it has been thought out and and to Lisa's point, it has been compared to the art of the history, you know, of all history. <laughs> and, and he has applied a meaning to what he's doing, whether it's just for himself or it is, it is a moving a chess piece on his, you know, manipulation board or whatever else it might be. There's always meaning and an intentionality behind everything that okay that Hannibal does and everybody else is just you know trying to look sort of like they're caught up but they're not Justin Kelly you got any thoughts on this week's exquisite corpse well Lisa you and I were taking the same road home <laughs> we were we were all you know you know fighting the same traffic taking the same road home but we ended up in different apartments Ooh, um, interesting. Because, you know, so I looked up the wound man, you know, mm -hmm. and you're absolutely right. It's, it, it is a, uh, it is a basically a learning tool for doctors um, that first appeared in like the 1490s. Um, and yeah, it's showing, you know, all the different types of wounds that were, you know, considered possible at the time. Um. But what I saw, because it's used twice in this episode, once in a murder commi committed by Abel Gideon, once in one presumably committed by Hannibal. Um, and it's important that it's a learning tool because Abel Gideon as a doctor had probably seen the wound man before, you know, which is why he's so able to mimic it, you know. <laughs> Abel. But for Hannibal, I think the focus is that the wound man is a learning tool, a teaching tool, and he is going to teach this motherfucker a lesson. Mm. And that's what I took from it. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, he is. Um, and I think that's actually thematic in some of H Hannibal's kills. Um, and I particularly because let's be real, not every person that Hannibal kills is the work of the Chesapeake Ripper. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's kind of like yeah. Hannibal has multiple serial killer personalities, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the Chesapeake Ripper is only one of them. And very specific types of kills are attributed to the Chesapeake Ripper. Um, mm -hmm. And like, things I want to say and, uh, <laughs> Bill curse you 
<laughs> sorry. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. We'll get to the stuff you want to yeah. you want to say eventually. Yeah. This, it's all going to come out eventually. A pivotal episode sometime in the future. This will be a good episode to look back on. Yeah. Um, okay, Justin. Since you ended our exquisite corpse segment, I will send the next segment to your mortal enemy, Philip Kelly. <laughs> to give us a recommendation for the week. So Philip, what will the people who like entree also like? You know, I think uh, we're talking about Silence of the Lambs here. Uh, I think people will really enjoy the comic book Stray Dogs uh, by Tony Fleeks and Trish Forstner. It's a uh, Silence of the Lambs-esque story told from the point of view of a bunch of collected dogs. Um, it's got like a Don Bluth style art uh, okay. and it's really, really smart emotional and terrifying and wonderful. Um, so if you don't mind seeing dogs in peril, check out Stray Dogs from Image Comics. Awesome. If you don't Thanks mind so much seeing for that. dogs yeah. in peril. All right, and that completes our discussion of this week's episode of Hannibal. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. You can listen to our other podcasts, both with the Fanbase Weekly and um, through us, Popsicle Pod, on Spotify, Apple, and where all your favorite podcasts are found. So please subscribe and give us a follow at Popsicle Pod on all social media platforms and sign up for our free newsletter at popsiclepod.com. You have to say that these days. That's P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. Everybody, um, you can find me and my art at lcatweber on Instagram and all the other social medias as well. Philip, where can we find you? I'm at Philip Creates across all social media. Kelly Sue. You can find me at Kelly Sue says pretty much anywhere. Claire. I am at Unexpected Hobby on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And yeah, that's it. And Justin. Uh, I post a new page of my hardboiled fantasy webcomic hunter black every monday wednesday and friday at hunterblackcomics.com you can keep up with me at justinpenison.com or on twitter at hunterblackcomx beautiful all right everybody don't be rude give us all a follow <laughs> and until next time happy hunting This has been a Popsicle Podcast production. Continuing underway, we have a new podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, with our Hannibal Podcast, Wait, Murder Husband. Stop. Wait. Why are you introducing this? You haven't even read the comic. And why the Last Man is one of my favorite things. You should do it, Claire. Well, if Claire does that, can I do the We Are Popsicle bit? Yes. Do it, Lisa. Hello, we are Popsicle. And we love talking about stories that we love. And I love Why the Last Man. So does Justin. I do! That's why when I saw the release date for the series, I said, yo, we should do this. And we all agreed. Why did we all agree? Because I'm always right. I think because it's actually a really important story that needs to be told right now. Yes. Well, it's the apocalypse, and it's the right time for that, right? <laughs> Indeed. But also, we've never really tackled anything. We've never tackled anything in real time before either, which I think would be fun. And once again, Philip hasn't read the thing. So, you know, we're fixing all the problems in the world. He's the last man. Is he the last man? <laughs> Am I? To read Am the I? Comic? Yeah. Is the comic book about me? But yeah. why do you want to do it, Phil? <laughs> oh, because uh, I'm a sheep. Um, <laughs> I'm too afraid to say no uh, to the four of you. Uh, no, honestly, I, I've been told that I should read this comic book for so long, and uh, you guys have not steered me wrong so far. So I'm I'm ready and willing to follow all four of you over a cliff you asked me to. Oh, Interesting. So less a sheep, more a lemming, but we can live with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> The cool thing, though, is about this is that uh, this is going to be a bigger podcast effort in which we talk about shows, as was mentioned, as they are being released. Yeah, um, it's going to be called That Episode Was, you know, like how we start every conversation anyway. 
And our first mission will be to talk about the first season of Why the Last Man, as only Popsicle can. Like the professionals we are, at least the ones who actually read the source material. <laughs> Why the Last Man premieres September 13th, so expect the first episode of that episode was to be released on Thursday the 16th or Friday the 17th, um, and for us to continue talking about how Phil has never read the source material. And so, follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, where we will discuss Phil's inability to read the source material. You can go to popsiclepod.com, that's P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D.com, where Phil will probably not read that. Um, you can join our <laughs> newsletter, which Phil has never read, or follow us on all social media sites at Popsicle Pod. Phil will never see your posts. Okay. <laughs>